Welcome to Ridgewood Talks. Through this podcast, we will be introducing you to some of the leaders and legends in our village. We'll keep you updated about fascinating local events, and we'll dig into the town's hot topics and so much more. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeannie Johnson, the founder of Ridgewood Talks and Ridgewood Walks. The goal for these initiatives is to create a kinder, more connected, and a more vibrant community. For our latest edition of Ridgewood Talks, a different sort of discussion, but one we think is critically important to have. Our community just experienced a terribly mean-spirited and divisive village council campaign. Unkind and untrue accusations were hurled at council meetings, through our mailboxes, and on social media. Even still, after the election, some people are continuing the drumbeat. It's painful to watch. On the day after a particularly disturbing council meeting, I attended a Ridgewood AM Rotary meeting. The guest speaker was Jane Clementi, and her presentation was tremendous. She spoke about the serious effects that bullying causes both personally and to society in general. She knows quite a bit about the topic. She and her husband, Joe, co-founded the Tyler Clementi Foundation. Their foundation works to end online and offline bullying in schools, workplaces, and faith communities in the United States states. They believe that progress can be made through education, advocacy, research, and collaboration among diverse communities. I knew then that Jane was the perfect person to help us get through this contentious period in our beloved hometown. Most of you are familiar with the heartbreaking story of Tyler Clementi. He's the young man who, after graduating Ridgewood High School in 2010, went off to start his freshman year at Rutgers. He'd already impressed people in Ridgewood with his violin playing. Tyler could often be seen walking home from school, carrying back his backpack and his violin case, and once he got to Rutgers, he immediately began playing with the orchestra there. But Tyler was also beginning his college life living publicly as a gay man. It was a life his new dorm mate cruelly invaded by using a video camera to spy on Tyler during a date. And it was a life that suddenly ended when Tyler leapt off the George Washington Bridge just a few days later. He was 18 years old. He'd barely spent one month at college. His tragic death generated national headlines and a national discussion about tolerance for homosexuality, respect for others, and the pain of bullying. And his grieving mother, once she was able to work through the searing pain of her son's suicide, is now helping to lead that discussion. Jane is a registered nurse, the mother of three boys, and now an outspoken advocate urging parents of LGBTQ kids to talk openly of how they love and accept their children. Jane's learned a lot during her difficult journey and is trying to make a difference by reaching out and telling her story to people across the country. She's here with me now. Welcome, Jane, and thank you very, very much for being here with us. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, really nice to be here with you. Um, I know you're an extremely busy person. You work as a nurse, and you also work at the foundation, and you're volunteer for various things at Westside Presbyterian Church, I know. And when I was doing research for this interview, I learned that you do quite a bit of public speaking as well. So tell us what an average day in the life of Jane Clementi looks like. That's an interesting question because there is no average day. (laughs) Every day is different and unique. Um, 
but you are correct. I am a public health nurse. I do work for Valley Hospital, which is right here in our lovely village. Um, I also do uh, work with the foundation as well, and I do a lot of public speaking. But that public speaking can be anywhere from someplace locally, like in Franklin Lakes last week, to being in Tampa Bay this past weekend, hearing a beautiful piece of music called Tyler Sweet that we also were given as a gift to our family and foundation. Tell tell me a little bit about Tyler's Suite. Sure. Tyler's Suite is, as I said, a beautiful choral piece of music that was commissioned by the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. And they partnered with six other gala choruses, which are gay and lesbian choruses, um, along with Stephen Schwartz, um, who's famous for Wicked and Pippin, one of Tyler's favorite, Wicked. And he helped organize this piece of music. And the thought behind it was to have a different uh, composer compose each piece of the movement. And it started out small as a four or five piece movement, and it just continued to grow. At this point, it's nine movements. So there are nine uh, composers, one main librettist, and one of the new pieces has a new librettist, which is the person that writes the words. And it was beautiful that they reached out to us to have it commissioned. They uh, sent the librettist, Pam, Pamela Stewart, to our home to sit and chat with us, which is most people don't think that this is actually stories and parts of Tyler's life um, before he made the national headlines. So Pamela talked with us together as a family, my two sons, my husband and I, and then they, she talked with us each individually. <clears throat> and then some of the movement um, were developed even separate from that in that one of the movements was a poem that Joe wrote after Tyler's passing. Your husband. My husband, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the movements, um, Stephen Schwartz didn't quite think the story was complete without having a v- view from the brother's side. So he, my son James had written an article for Out Magazine and he let, called letters to my brother and Stephen Schwartz used parts of that and embellished on other parts because Tyler was a a fan of musical theater so he added parts of that and all together it's this gorgeous piece of music that um, truly resonates deep within most people when they hear the music Um, and we hopefully use that to instill change because I do think knowledge changes our heads a little bit. Sometimes we can move along on research and statistics. And certainly I have learned that stories can change hearts as well as we continue to share Tyler's story. But I think the music goes even deeper and resonates within our soul and can really stay with us and hold us into a new transformative place. And that's our goal. And that we want to transform culture to a kinder, more caring place, more respectful place. And right now we're listening to a portion of Tyler's suite. It's called I Love You More. I 
so Jane, I want to thank you for starting the foundation. You do a lot of great work over there and have some really impressive people on your board. Um, to you, what's the most important issue that you want to address through the foundation? The Tyler Clementi Foundation's main focus is on putting an end to online and offline bullying in schools, workplaces, and faith communities, as you um, stated before. Um, so we actually started out really small, raising awareness through Tyler's story, trying to create that culture shift that I was talking about earlier, about kindness and respect and empathy more than anything else. Um, but we also, at this point, want to make sure that we go a little further upstream. And what we want to do is prevent bullying before it happens. And that's why we designed the Day One campaign, um, which is a downloadable online script that empowers leaders in a community to set clear and articulate boundaries about what is say, and is not acceptable words and behavior in that community. Um, for me, I think it's such a simple message. It's having a teacher or a principal or maybe even a student leader on the very first day stand up in front of a group, that classroom, and say, you know, we are not going to allow anyone to be targeted or bullied or intimidated here because of the color of their skin or where their parent or where their parents came from or the language that they speak at home or their abilities or how they dress and or um, who they choose to love or their gender that they identify or whatever else makes them special and precious and very unique. Um, I think it's such a simple message and it's such an important message for that vulnerable student to hear. I mean, certainly it sets a clear boundary for the person that wants to be aggressive and it's something that it's not a magical wand. You still have to call back on it, but it's saying it on the first day and making sure that someone, um, that everyone knows where the boundaries are. But it's also really important for that vulnerable, marginalized student in the classroom to hear that they are going to be safe and they are going to be protected here no matter what. I think it's an important message for all of us, you know, no matter what age we are. I agree. I agree. And I, yes. And I'm happy to know that you're starting off, you know, at that age level and that our our children are going to be our teachers because they are much more savvy when it comes to social media. And I notice it, you know, in my daily life going onto social media and I sometimes see adults bullying each other online. Um, and so is there a program through your foundation that can sort of address how adults treat each other is through, maybe that's through the upstanders pledge. Is that what it's called? Yes, there is an upstander pledge. Um, it is another one of our programs, which um, we developed that because as we kept watching what was happening to Tyler, especially um, sitting through and hearing from the prosecutors that there were so many people that saw what was happening to Tyler, whether it was online or present in the dorm space that Tyler was, that there were the, all those people that saw what was happening. And then as I started learning more about bullying situations, we found out that in most bullying scenarios, probably 80 or 85% of them, there are witnesses that see what is happening. And we, knowing that bullying is really a power imbalance between um, two people or two groups, um, and it's unwanted aggressive behavior because of that power imbalance, we realized that the biggest the group that had the biggest power were the bystanders. So instead of targeting the, the target or the, the person with the bullying aggressive behavior, we wanted to make those 
bystanders have the power and to create change with them. So we instituted the Upstander Pledge. And it means taking on at least three different steps. And you don't have to take all of the steps, but you should do at least one of these three steps. And that is the first one, intervening in the situation if you feel comfortable. And if you don't come into harm's way, because we never want anyone to come into harm's way. But if you feel like these are your friends and they're just being sarcastic, and they're just trying to joke, um, and you don't see it as the joke that is happening, that you call that behavior out. Um, if you don't elicit the change, and certainly if you feel like you're in harm's way, or if you're a youth, because in most situations, we really want youth to be safe, we need to go to the second step. And that second step is to report it to a trusted adult. If you're an adult, to report it to the authorities in that space. But we never want a youth to intervene where they get above their abilities or their skill sets. So we want them to be able to tell a trusted adult. And telling is not the same as tattling. And you have to make that clear distinction. Um, I think telling if you want to protect someone is essential. If you have that goal in mind, that's what you need to do is to tell a trusted adult. And there are trusted adults in every school system and setting. I know in the LGBTQ space, which is where I exist a lot now, um, a lot of times it's difficult to tell because then you're outing someone and you never want to out someone when they're not ready for it. But if your goal is to keep them safe, you need to tell a trusted adult. And certainly if someone is confiding in you, um, about harmful behavior, if your friend says that they're really unhappy and really sad and they're needing to take matters into their own hands, you need to tell an adult. Um, I've been at many colleges and high schools and there was this one particular private high school, uh, day school in, up in Connecticut, upstate Connecticut. And I there were at least three seniors in this group and they confided separately, and one confided to the whole group how she confided to her friend that she was going to um, kill herself by suicide and not to tell anyone, and she couldn't tell anyone. Fortunately, that friend did not listen to her, and she told her mother, who then elicited help for this young woman. And this woman is so grateful to her friend that she didn't listen to her and that she, in fact, did report it to someone and tell someone and get her the help she needs because that, I think, is key. And back to being an upstander, the third step is to tell and speak out to the person being targeted. I think that that speaks volumes. I think if you make, just make sure that they know their resources, they know that they're safe, they know that you're there as a friend if they need it. You know, I think if Tyler had someone that reached out to him, I really think our story would have had a very different ending. It wouldn't have been an ending. It would have just been the middle of the story for him. So I think that that is key. I think it's important to know that conversation is good. And it's important to know that it's not harmful to talk about these big, heavy topics of mental health and, and, and mental health issues like bullying, which is a mental health issue, depression, suicide. It does not increase the prevalence. It just rather helps reduce the shame and the stigma attached to them and hopefully breaking down barriers so that people can find the resources that they need. Yeah, you know, uh, we spoke to Dr. Fishbein a few weeks ago, and he said that we are in a crisis in this country when it comes to mental health issues in our children. And I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought, you know, I wonder what it is. And I, I really believe that part of it is that we 
have worked really hard to, to tell our kids that they're capable and that they can do anything. And we may have forgotten to tell them that it's okay to ask for help. A lot of kids are afraid to say, listen, I feel like I'm drowning. I really need some help through this. And I also feel like they're afraid to discuss it. And when they finally do, and they're able to talk about it with their peers, like the example that you just gave, or when they feel brave enough to go to their parents or a trusted adult, when they get that validation of, gosh, you know, I, I, I know how you feel. I, I can, I, not that I know how you feel, but I've felt in ways that are similar to this. Somehow or another, it just takes a weight off of these kids. I've, I've you know, worked with kids throughout the years and, and they've come to me with these stories. And when they say that, when, when I explain to them that they're not alone, it's it just, you can watch it visibly happen in their eyes and, and they feel so much relief that they're not walking through this pain alone, you know? Yeah, and, and that's true. We definitely need to, be teaching perseverance and endurance because especially through the youthful ages, um, they're very spontaneous and they jump to conclusions for sure. But also sometimes you can't really see the resources. As I know, I've learned all too personally, when you're in that dark, desperate, lonely place, you really can't see the resources that you have available to you. And that is why we need people to be our true friends as opposed to being friends on Facebook where you just put that little check in that box. Um, you really need to be watching out for your friends and your neighbors. And make yourself available physically for people because there's something about being in the same space and sharing that energy and being able to reach out and maybe not even say anything but just reach out and just, you know, squeeze your hand or pat yourself, pat, pat them on the back. I think it's really important to make sure that we spend time physically with one another to support each other through these as you said these dark times and that's true because that's one of the other things with Tyler is that we found being in that new space of being away from home away from friends away from the normalcy of the community that he had and his routine that is a high risk time for most young people for all people probably is being in that transitional time and that's why one of our partnerships is also with Rutgers University the Tyler Clementi Center at Rutgers and one of the things that they're working on is creating a safe space especially through that transition period for their incoming freshmen right because it can be a very lonely time right and you're not fully acclimated to the new environment and you don't truly know all the resources that you have available there and yet you're kind of detached and you're not in your routine on physical space and you're not being seen by people that know you on a daily basis you're just meeting new people right oh that's so good that they're they're doing that i wonder are other colleges taking you know a page from that and and doing the same thing as rutgers i have heard that there are similar practices for, because that transitional time is a pretty known time to be at high risk. Um, but also Rutgers is working on programs to work through that um, period and they're actually promoting it among the top 10, the big 10. They, oh, they are part of the big 10 conference now, which is more like the big 14 or 15. I don't know how many schools are in it. Um, and then they're unrolling it and they're, they're making um, part of their program available online. And that's part of what's going to be unrolled this coming year in the next year is programs um, that colleges can use online 
downloadable kind of scripts because this is a powerful tool and it can be used for good. The internet right. is a great resource. Unfortunately, it's also used as a weapon of great harm and destruction for most young people today. So we want to use it for good as it was intended. Um, I just want to reiterate again with the Upstanders Pledge. Uh, through your Upstanders Pledge, you say the first step toward ending bullying is to make a personal commitment to stop it report it, or reach out to the victim with support. The Upstander Pledge empowers people to be leaders in their communities by demonstrating their stand against bullying and encouraging others to take responsibility for their actions. So I think that's something that we can all uh, adhere to, and all of us should work really hard to take the Upstander Pledge. Thank you for that. Also, one of the things we are working in the digital space as well for cyberbullying and one of the things that's key is to just actually take a moment and reread what you've written. Um, I think some youth, especially I've been told, like to do six and seven things at one time. And you can't, you can't multitask. I just wanna make that clear. You can only do one thing at one time. So I think first of all, take a moment and just focus on one thing at hand instead of shooting out six messages text message posting on social media um, sending out emails and doing multiple conversations all at once and part of what we are doing um, as a foundation is we've created these little buttons to put on your um on your phone look yes look, i see it's right I here that. Um, it's our logo which we developed a few years ago which our logo is actually a t with a c turned upside down, a golden C for the golden rule to do to others as you'd have them do to you, something Tyler didn't receive, but we want others to receive it. And it also looks like arms embracing the T, but it also on a quick glance looks like the on off button of a computer. So it, you want to look at that and remember that you want to use the internet for respect and have empathy. So before you send out a message, take a minute, reread it, take that breath, reread it. And if it's destroying another person's character, I would hope that you would discard it or rewrite it at the very least. And if, if it is building someone up and giving encouragement, then send it out. And, and there are many, many apps to do that, that do the same message. Um, Microsoft also has that same messaging that we partner with and have, has given us some funding. They say to take pause and take a minute before you send out that message. Well, I'm gonna say for myself, this has been a really helpful tour, tool, not because I you know, spew out unnecessary things, but I learned one time to practice the pause, to pause before judging, pause before assuming, pause before accusing, pause whenever I'm about to react harshly, and then I'll avoid doing and saying things that I'll later regret. And I can tell you, this little button, this beautiful little button with the T and the C on my phone, um, first of all, I think about Tyler every time I look at it, and I think about um, making sure that I you know, take time to validate people who might be in pain. And it has just been a tremendously helpful thing for me. So thank you. And anybody who's listening to this podcast who would like to have one of these buttons for themselves can go to the Tyler Clementi Foundation website, which is tylerclementi.org. And it's... Um, yes. Yeah, so and when you go to our website, tylerclementi.org, you can 
pledge to become an upstander right there on our website. And that's also where you can do our downloadable script for dayone.com. But you know, one of the things that I've learned in the past seven years and is that there's bigger, more systemic problems than just between the power imbalance between two youth in the playground or in the schoolyard, um, as well as those misusing and abusing the cyber digital world. For me, I think it's even greater than that. In my simple, humble opinion, I think it's even um, seen in legislative inequalities that give certain groups more power, more privilege, more protections and sometimes even more rights than other groups. And I think that it's important that we see that in a bigger systemic group. As well as what breaks my heart as a person of faith is when people misuse scripture to impose um, harm and destruction on another person, um, to try to destroy them. Yes, and one of the things that stood out for me during your presentation at the Rotary is how your faith life changed after Tyler's suicide. So please elaborate on that because that was the most powerful piece of your of your presentation for me. I just, as I said, as a mom of two gay children and now one gay son-in-law, um, as well as a family that has been warmly embraced and supported and welcomed into the LGBTQ community. Again, like I said, it just breaks my heart when someone misuses scripture as a weapon to harm and destroy others, because I totally believe that through my tradition as a Christian, that love doesn't harm. And it shouldn't be used to make someone feel broken, less than, or separated from God because of how God created them or who God created them to love. And um, what was really impressive to me was a few years ago, I was at the National Cathedral to speak on a panel beforehand with um, someone from Trevor, as well as uh, Judy Shepard and myself. We spoke um, through the Sunday school hour and then the dean of the cathedral spoke <laughs> during um, the, the, his sermon. And in his sermon, he was telling us that being gay is not a sin. And that is key that we need to get out into the world. And what he was also saying is that teaching hate, that's the sin. That's what separates us from God. And teaching people to be homophobic is a sin. And as I see it, um, it's just foolishness to continue to read scripture with eyes from the first century because we have been given so much wisdom and knowledge. And I believe that wisdom and knowledge is from God. I don't think that it's separate in two categories. And part of that um, wisdom now in the 21st century is that we've learned all about the harmful physical and emotional and spiritual effects of homophobia. And um, we have learned through medical data and research about the tragic consequences on the lives that have been taken far too soon as our loved ones are stolen away and families are left broken and destroyed. So we need to stop that misguided teaching and the traditions of dogma, bias, and discrimination that devalue the human spirit and cause so much pain and despair and rather exert our time and energy on teaching tolerance and acceptance for all of our differences, learning to embrace and celebrate all that makes us unique and special. Um, because in my heart, I do believe that Tyler was targeted because of his sexual orientation. And I think that that is just simply, simply just so wrong. I mean, to, to target someone just because of what makes them unique and special is just not acceptable. Um, 
And I mean, even in, in any other profession or any other area, we would use the research that we, we know, right? I mean, I'm a nurse in my, with my other hat. And I would not practice nursing the way Florence Nightingale did in the 1800s. I, I love think. that she, when you said that. <laughs> I think she was from the 1800s. Um, but I mean, we use modern research. We use research-based or evidence-based practice. Um, practice built on the new uh, research that we know and the new knowledge. And we can't go backwards. And 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 faith is no different. I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow for sure. God's love is the same. But how we interpret the rest of the, the book is open to how we see life today in the 21st century. Is actually even a big um, word that I never even knew about until recently. Hermeneutics. It's reading scripture through the knowledge that we have today. I mean, it's key. I, I, I don't understand how people can get so stuck in that dogma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's... I, I really love that you are bringing that to light and helping people understand who might be stuck. Um, I, I have a couple of friends whose children have come out and they have been in tremendous pain because of their religious beliefs. And speaking about coming out, I know you mentioned too that um, your son was outed when he wasn't, your, your son James, I believe, was outed when he wasn't quite ready. He was ready, but he could have not been ready. What happened was, what um, what happened was is actually Tyler came out to us first. Although James and Tyler came out to each other that summer before Tyler went to school, but um, James was not out in all aspects of his world. And the good thing is, is why I have a fondness for the media, which at first I thought was pretty intrusive, but I see that by their sharing Tyler's story, it has had great impact into the into the world and into starting those conversations that we were talking about for respect and kindness and equality. Um, but they also could have outed James and they did not. When we did our first interview um, with People Magazine was our first interview in December or November of 2011. One of the questions that Nikki asked us was about James. And um, and I was just like taken aback. Like, how do you know? And, and you can't publish that because I was also very numb and foggy at the time. But all I did know is I, was, I couldn't let anyone harm another child of mine. And um, in our conversation, she finally said, well, I don't know why no one has written about it yet, but it is public knowledge because we were all interviewed by the prosecutors in case we had any information to be brought to trial, which we did not have any information. But those interviews are public record, and the media knows how to access those public records. So James talked about his sexual orientation in those interviews, but yet not I congratulate the media for not publishing about him um, and harming him. But she did say that she she would not write about it, but she couldn't guarantee no one else would. So she asked if we would go home and talk to him about it. And then if he gave his approval, she would write about it. And so we went home (laughs) and we talk to James, uh, trying, you know, going around the bush, like, is there anything you'd like to say? Maybe you'd want to share with us. And then finally, eventually, we just asked him. 
And of course, his initial response was no, no. And he left the room for a few minutes, but he came back within five minutes and said, yes, that's okay. She can write it and I'm good with it. And from there, he's been very out and proud and a great activist in his own right. And I'm so pleased with him. Oh, I'm so happy for him too. And, and now he is married. He is. He got married in February of 2015, so he's no longer a newlywed. He's been oh, married yeah. three years now. <laughs> it's, the newlywed phase is over. Um, and he has a wonderful, loving husband, Ramon, who they are just soulmates together. And they're just so happy together, and I'm just so pleased. I am too. And I would just like to thank you again for being here and sharing part of your story with us. And I also, just to close out, I want to know what your advice would be for our community leaders and the people who live here regarding bullying. First off, I really dislike giving out advice, <laughs> but I will share what I've learned. And as I've shared, continue to share, that we need to have empathetic eyes and we really need to look at the sit total situation from both sides. Um, we maybe even have to learn to agree to disagree, but we need to be respectful of someone else. We need to make sure that when we have conversations that they be respectful and kind and thoughtful and that they don't harm another person's character another person's integrity, but that they're maintained and talked about issues, and we talk about the issues respectfully, and trying to enlighten everyone. Um, I think it's, it's easier to say just be kind, which is why we at the day one use day one, we call out specific behaviors, because just telling someone just be kind sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes we need to actually enumerate what kindness looks like because everyone's moral compass I suppose is not the same but if we see the humanity in each other and if we can't say something to someone's face it shouldn't be said in the electronic cyber world we need to reach out and, and make sure that everyone is safe and, and we don't harm another person great that's wonderful advice our tagline here at Ridgewood Talks is to be kind and do good so thank you very much for all that you've done and best of luck on the foundation and please continue your good work oh, thank you